Hello, and welcome to Converge. Converge is a podcast about stories. To be more specific, it is about two stories coming together, our story and God's story. When those two stories come together, they combine to make one powerful kingdom story. We invite you to listen in as OP Missional Partners share their stories of convergence. A lot of people here already know Jarvis's story, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't know the story. And so just for those that, that don't know, like a quick Cliff Notes version of who Jarvis is. Well, Jarvis didn't do anything quickly, so I'll try my best. (laughs) Jarvis was a patient of mine in 2005 when I was a resident in pediatrics in Memphis, and he was 12 years old at the time. He was an inpatient at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and he had a very rare, severe form of leukemia called AML, acute myeloid leukemia, and he was also in foster care. He had just been transferred there from Shreveport, and he had lost his grandmother to cancer a few weeks before that. He lost his father a few years before that to cancer. He was a patient that most people never forgot. It took me about 10 minutes in the morning to get the covers from his head down (laughs) so he'd even let me see him or talk to him. He broke everyone's heart. And there's just no disease like feeling unloved. There's no disease that's worse. And he had both a bad disease and that that feeling. So um, Scott and I would go up on the weekends and bring pizza, and Scott would play video games with him long after my rotation was over and he wasn't my patient anymore. And that few months later, he was transferred back to Shreveport, and we were told that he went with a foster family that was really nice. I tried to reconnect with him from afar and it did not work. I just hit a dead end after dead end. And so we moved on with life and September of 2014, nine years later, Scott and I were both practicing physicians and we were called into doing foster care by God. And we'd already had our first placement of a little girl. She She had just turned 12 months old and I was asked to speak about foster care at a women's conference at our church. Late one night while I'm up late writing this speech, what do you do? You think about people. And he was definitely where the seeds of foster care were planted. And so I thought about him and I looked him up on Facebook. That's what you do when you need to find somebody. (laughs) And um, I found him, he was alive. And I was shocked that he was alive Woke Scott up, and he's like, yeah, that's him. And so, ironically, there was a phone number with his posts, and with his, he didn't have much on his page, but he had a phone number, and so I called the phone number, and we finally connected. The first day that I talked to him was his 21st birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) And when I called, and the answer was from the Shreveport Men's Rescue Mission, my heart broke for a second time. And so when we called Jarvis, we talked to him that night. He had survived his leukemia. He had undergone a bone marrow transplant. He was now homeless, living in a rescue mission because 
He had a secondary cancer, which was an osteosarcoma of his dominant wrist. Mm. This was pretty painful. So he was pretty broken. He was angry. He was hopeless. He hated God. He'd wrestled with God so much in his (laughs) life that he knew what life and death meant. Got off the phone with him that night and decided, what can I do for him from afar? And so we started a Facebook page called Prayers for Jarvis. And I thought, you know, I have the blessing of so many people around me who actually pray to God. Yeah. And I thought, the least I can do is just ask people to wrap around him in prayer and love. So started that, and people just poured out into him. And um, Scott got him a cell phone so he could communicate with his doctors. And we really tried to connect him to LSU Medical which, care. Which right after he got the cell phone, of course, he asked for more data and, <laughs> um, you know, more bars and all that. And <laughs> yeah. More games, more uh-huh. data. Yeah. So We saw how difficult it was for him to get good care. At the mission where he lived, he could only take ibuprofen or Tylenol. He couldn't take any narcotics mm-hmm. for the severe cancer pain yeah. that any of us would be in agony with. So it was pretty hard. He planned for an amputation, which was the definitive treatment for him, in a few months. And our prayer group rallied around him, supported him. And um, he decided a week before that he was not going to do that. That was just too much for a 21-year-old boy to cut off his arm and be by himself. So we did not pressure him in any way. And we just tried to support him as best we could until about six months later, We'd work through several avenues to try to do different treatments. Nothing really worked. Mm -hmm. And we got a call frantically one night. He had gotten kicked out of his mission that he'd lived in for two years. Oh, wow. You would expect someone who'd lived kind of in foster care for the majority of his life, you would expect him to kind of have some street smarts or know how to use a bus system, but he had no idea. So he was literally telling us what the street sign said, and we were trying to find him help. Wow. In a city we'd never been to. Yeah. And so we found this angel cab driver (laughs) who picked him up. And the hotel where we were trying to get him into, the cab driver suggested we didn't because it was too scary of a place. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) He helped us figure out how to get him set up. And then um, so we had him in a hotel for a couple of days. And then he was brave enough to get on a bus and come to a city he'd never been to. And so he came July 30th, 2015. Jarvis had told us that he would be totally comfortable in a mission because that's kind of what he was used to. So mm-hmm. our first plan was to take him to a rescue mission downtown. So we did that. That's when our education began, I think. Most definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about the disease of feeling unloved. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? He was 12 the first time. Like, where does that come from? He had been in foster care for a few years, and he had a few foster care parents that he would kind of attach to, yeah. And but he felt abandoned. Mm. He, being a 12-year-old boy is challenging. It's a hard time of life. I think that's one of the hardest times of life for a boy, and the treatments that he was undergoing were extremely toxic, harsh, and painful. He had a foster parent in Memphis who 
never visited him. He not only had felt abandoned initially, but by his foster parents and God as well. He really did. I've seen kids struggle through a lot of very difficult diseases, but I've but they do okay if they have the security of yeah. someone they love that's there. But he did not have that. Yeah. Initially we were with him when he was 12 and then reconnected at 21. 21. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you really got to spend mm-hmm. your time with him. Favorite memories? One of my favorite ones was taking him to the zoo for the first time. He'd never been to the zoo. Oh, wow. And yeah. so we went before his amputation once and he had a sling. At that point, he had started calling us mom and dad. It was new to me, and so it was just kind of an experience, his joy being at the zoo, calling me mom. Yeah. It was just kind of one of those memories that you're like, what, what are you doing here, God? I don't know, but it's, it's, it's kind of really exciting and crazy at the same time. So that was one good memory. Another memory I have at Truman Medical Center where he received his care, they have a pharmacy. We sat there in the waiting room. It was him, Phoenix, and a stroller, and myself, and we're just in the waiting room. And Jarvis always had a monster drink every time I picked him up because it gave him energy. He was reading One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish to Phoenix. And his beautiful, soulful voice, really loud with perfect enunciation and the pharmacy staff started coming out like from where they were working and watching and it was just God just showed me this beautiful moment that's cool of him and her He, he really taught me to just be still and Jarvis loved kids he had a lot of empathy for children especially other children in foster care yeah so yeah he and Phoenix had a special connection. I have a, a lot of good memories of Jarvis. Um, there's so many one-liners that we probably shouldn't say. <laughs> but, um, you know, when he first came to the, to Kansas City, um, like Beth said, he started calling us mom and dad pretty quick. I mean, it had to have been within a month. It was about a month, yeah. And, um, you know, Jarvis, being from Louisiana, grew up a Saints fan. Oh yeah, he and, was a big Saints fan, and he loved football. And um, and I'm a Chiefs fan, and so we would kind of banter back and forth a little bit about Chiefs and Saints. And one day I picked him up from Restart, and I think we were coming to church, and it was chilly out. And he and he said, um, "I was like, I want to get a, I want to get, I want. Can you get me a Chiefs coat?" I was like, "Chiefs, <laughs> really? I thought you were a Saints fan." And he said, yeah, my dad's a Chiefs fan. And I knew that his dad had passed away when he was young. And I looked at him and I was like, your dad was a Chiefs fan? I thought he was a Saints fan. And he looked at me and he was like, no, dummy, I'm talking about you. <laughs> it really became clear to me that he did, he really did see us as parents. We, we got to take him uh, for Christmas to um, my family's Christmas. It just so happened that that year Christmas was with my side of the family and so we took him to Wichita and we you know my family really accepted him and just you know he got to be in the pictures with all the grandkids as one of the grandchildren and and uh, we have this great picture that Beth took turned around looking in the back of our van of all the kids smiling and Jarvis with his one thumb up cheesing you know just so happy and so that that's a great memory 
it was truly amazing seeing the change in him from the day he got off the bus and just the the fear, the frustration, the anger that he harbored inside of himself to where he was nine months later. And it's it's because of the doctors that took care of him, the counselors, you know, at, at Lifeline, the people at this church that just accepted him and embraced him. And, you know, more people knew him than, than who knew us. I mean, he was truly, he was a celebrity. Yeah, yeah and it was interesting. Um, he was in, he was hospitalized several times, but he was hospitalized for his amputation pretty quickly after he got here, just a few months later. And his psychiatric um, disease was really taking over at that time, too. So he had a couple inpatient psych admissions as well. But when he passed away nine, month, nine months later... His hospitalization then was completely different. He had a peace that was nothing he'd probably ever experienced. Yeah. He, um, he had to have so much pain as well, but he wasn't angry with God. He was at peace with the world, with his past, with his biological family, with his family he adopted in Kansas City. And he was remarkably calm during that last hospitalization. I think that speaks a lot to what God had brought him through. Yes. How did that impact you guys? Not only his passing, but the peace that he had in those last days and watching him go through that. Like, how did that impact you? you and your family Mm -hmm. well we haven't spoken about our boys Wesley and Will they adopted Jarvis he was their older brother they loved him and he was kind of like a hero to Will so it impacted us all differently I would say when Jarvis Jarvis had been sick for a couple weeks we ended up taking him to the ER and that was a Friday night and he passed away the next Tuesday so that seems like a very short period of time and a week before that he was at Phoenix's birthday party you know so this it all came on so suddenly but for that weekend time kind of stood still and we had some extremely precious moments that God gave us with him during that weekend. And um, we're so grateful for that time. The crazy part was we didn't think those were his last dates. No. We didn't know that. Yeah. So we had a different perspective, and we can only look back and see what God gave us. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think Jarvis knew. Yeah. I, I, actually, I know that he knew he was dying. Uh, let me back up a little bit. When... Um, when we decided to help him move to Kansas City, I remember telling Beth, you know, I, I knew what kind of the natural history of osteosarcoma is, kind of the survival rates and things, and I remember telling Beth, you know we're likely moving him here to die. Now granted, we didn't think it would be that, we didn't think it would go as quickly as yeah. it did, but um, we kind of figured we had a couple years with him, and, and those the last few days when he was in the hospital, um, yes, we we had good conversation with him. 
he asked some, you know, some pretty deep questions. I think we had some good uh, discussion about about God and, and Christ and where he would be after this, and he was very much at peace with his relationship with God. He's probably, you know, he's wrestled with God more than most people that you run into, just from the physical pain mm -hmm. that he had been through in his life. Very few of us will ever experience the kind of pain that he had physically, emotionally. He wrestled with God and, and he was content with it. Yes, we had some very intimate moments with him the last three or four days that maybe will be shared at a different time. <laughs> okay. When Jarvis was in the hospital those last few days, he'd made so many friends that I had to restrict visitors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everyone brought him his favorite things. That he, and Jarvis loved to eat. And so he didn't touch anything. Oh, and he didn't turn the TV on, which was crazy. So, you knew um, something was wrong. Yeah, you definitely on. did. But Monday night, the night before he passed away, Scott brought the boys up and they played Uno. And the only time he ever sat up during his hospitalization and interacted with people was when we brought the boys up to play Uno. And they had brought balloons and cards, yeah. and he, he enjoyed that last time with his brothers. Yeah. And that was very special. The boys had a, a good experience with him before he passed away. And the impact that he had on Will was Will thought that Jarvis was the strongest person in the whole world. He asked me, he said, Mom, weren't we lucky to have the strongest person in the whole world in our family? And if he were still alive, he'd probably be in the Olympics because I think the Summer Olympics were going on. <laughs> and um, that type of perspective was... You can't put a price tag on that. Going back a little bit, something that we should touch on is um, right before Jarvis's amputation, my grandfather had passed away and we were back at the funeral. And so we weren't here at church the, week, the weekend before his amputation. And so Zach led a prayer and I think half of the sanctuary surrounded Jarvis during that wow. time. And so it was good because we stepped out of the picture and the church got to really be impactful. So I think that left an impression on Jarvis. Half of the time that we were in church, I didn't think Jarvis was paying attention because he usually had his earbud in listening I've to music. I've heard stories yeah. about that, yes. <laughs> and one time we were praying for a woman who had who was going to have a surgery for her cancer, and they asked for people to surround her in prayer and he jumped up so fast and ran over to the other aisle and put his hand right next to her. Wow. That was a beautiful moment too that he knew exactly what she was going to be going through. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. So we had a celebration of life here at the church and the community that Jarvis had become a part of was a community of 14 people, young adults who've aged out of foster care who have also had a mental health diagnosis. Okay. And we knew that they were grieving. They were devastated because this loss was very sudden and, and hard for them. And so some sweet friends in our church did a luncheon for these this group of people. Oh. And we had barbecue. And they came in 
and they all had t-shirts with his picture on it and um, and it was really really sweet but we had some open mic time during the celebration of life and several of these young adults were able to get up and speak about mm-hmm. Jarvis in a way that we didn't know him mm-hmm. he was yeah. considered so dear to them as a friend as their person that they looked up to so not only did he impact our church but he impacted a lot of other young people who were his friends too all of the miracles that happened for Jarvis all of the things that led him to come to that peace in the hospital those were all things that God did we didn't Absolutely. do any of them yeah. you know we didn't find him these places God opened the door for him yeah to meet these people if we would have said you know what we're gonna just take care of you and put you in our home and just do everything ourselves then he wouldn't have known the love of a church family he wouldn't have been able to get his GED he wouldn't have or try <laughs> um, he wouldn't have been able to encourage other young people the way he did yeah. so trusting God became our lifeline God showed us that he truly is the one who does the work. We just were along for the ride, honestly. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's been good. I just want to say thank you. Sure. Thanks for sharing your story. Yeah. Sure.